CTNCIO Talk Network is brought to you by Redmain and BlackBerry. Welcome to CTN CIO Talk Network with your host, Sunjo Gall. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are strictly those of the host, guests, and callers. Now, here's Sunjo Gall. Hello and uh, welcome to this segment on CTN. To learn more, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. And the topic for today is CIO as an innovation leader. So traditionally, uh, CIOs were expected to keep the operations running without interruption, uh, a smooth sailing boat, and support the business for initiatives when asked. So now the changing expectation is that we should be able to master the art of possible and work with the business leaders to create new solutions, which is something different in some cases, fundamentally different than how the CIOs were groomed from the very beginning. So how these leaders can learn to uh, develop these skills and learn new things and hardwire the ones the, the way the hardwiring and the grooming was, how do we reset that? That's what we'd like to talk. And I have with me a great panel today. Uh, so we have Stephen Marks, who's the CIO of Brooklyn Law School. Hey, Stephen, how are you, sir? Good morning. How are you? Good, good, great. And we have Jonathan Wester, Vice President of Technology and Chief Information Officer with Nash Community College. Jonathan, how are you? I'm doing great. Hope you are. Very good. Thank you so much. And Kelly Walsh, who's the CIO with the College of Westchester. Kelly, how's life? Good, very good. All going great. Awesome, awesome. So let's start with uh, Stephen. Um, we, we know that we are looking for innovation in our businesses. And at the same time, we also have customers who are not, I would say, not becoming fickle, but they are evolving in terms of the kind of needs they have, the wants and the fancies and whims, whatever that you may want to call them. And for us to be able to, or anyone for that matter, to be able to innovate, you need to be able to keep yourself up to date and informed and deeply entrenched in what the business is doing, which is typically not happening or is done in the traditional IT versus business setting. So what is being changed in your department or your relationship with the business that that starts happening so you become very intimately close to what's going on with the customers and the business? It's a good question, and you really can't wait for the business to come to you to fill you in and tell you what's going on. Everybody's under so much pressure these days and is so busy that you can't expect people to stop and think especially of IT. So you really need to insinuate yourself into the process wherever possible and whatever ways are available to you. And most people just don't really see IT as part of the process until the last minute. So you need to find opportunities to educate yourself and work to people's self-interest because self-interest always wins. So that's a great uh, response. Now, Jonathan, I'd like for you to help clarify that if Stephen says we go and take the initiatives to start learning. And that's, a, that's of course, the attitude we all need to have. But if the business is not really allowing you the level of exposure that you 
do need and the accessibility of the resources or the very people or areas which in which you want to learn more. Doesn't it create a handicap and you are not able to get to where you want to? I think that's absolutely a good point. Um, one of the things that I'd say to, to echo uh, is really to get out of your office. That's going to be one of the first things that you have to do, do and be comfortable doing that. Um, because if you or your team is seen as, as an inapproachable you know, black hole of, of technology, no one's going to come to you with their ideas, nor are they going to be open with you on what's emerging. And so if you have boots on the ground, either yourself or your, your team proper, you know, being those uh, liaisons or those ambassadors of technology inside the organization, you're going to have a much better uh, finger on the pulse of what's coming up or what people are expecting. Um, but a lot of times IT is seen as just this department that just takes budget and just chews it up and just is a, a hole that we just dump money into um, because we don't do a good job usually of communicating things like the needs for security or infrastructure or storage and licenses, things that are very expensive pieces of the organization to maintain but aren't tangible to the user. And so I think that as you build those relationships with your end users and your other you know, C-level peers, they can begin to understand that we're going to help you innovate, but you also have to understand that you may not see that innovation until you know, quarters or, or years down the road. And that's a very good point that you make, that you're setting right expectations. Now, building upon your response, Kelly, I'll come to you and ask you that how, or maybe let me make a statement first, that innovation is a serious business. Just because you are excited, Mr. CIO, or Mr. Business, it's not going to naturally happen on its own. It, there, there needs to be some formal approaches, processes, due diligence that needs to be done before you say, yes, we are going in the right direction. But if CIOs are not invited to the party, and they themselves invite to the party, doesn't mean it's going to turn serious and everyone will take them seriously, even though you show excitement. And they will not be even invited to the formal approach to innovation. And worst case, if there is no such formal process that exists, why would anyone from business say, oh, because you're excited, I'd like to come and take the leading role in formalizing the innovation process? Oh, well, you know, that's, that's an interesting question. Um, certainly, if you're not, you know, I, I would hope in many organizations in an ideal world that the CIO is at the table with all the other C-suite executives, and um, I have the good fortune of answering directly to our president and being on the cabinet, so that helps facilitate those kinds of communications. But if that's, you know, if that's not the case, um, certainly you, you want to be making those efforts to, to listen to people, to ask them what their pain points are, um, you know, what problems need to be solved both with your internal clients and with the organ, you know, in, in our case, our students. Um, and uh, another, you know, real key to this can be, what are you doing to learn about the overall industry you're in? So, you know, we're in higher education. Uh, when I came to my school, I had not been in education. I'd been an IT manager for many years, but I went out of my way. This was about 10 years ago when blogging was starting to blow up, and I went out of my way and started a blog and said, I'm going to use this as an opportunity to share my thoughts, learn things, develop a personal learning network, um, and 
you know, hopefully my boss and my peers will see that I'm going out of my way to really understand the industry. And it opens great doors for conversations about, hey, you know, I heard this school is doing that and we thought about that kind of thing. So um, certainly one way you can open that door to get people to realize that you're there to listen, you're there to learn, and you're there to figure out how you can help the uh, organization move forward and innovate. Now, the word innovation is cool, but then, Stephen, coming to you, how do you think a business today, let's talk, you know, higher ed, since you're part of that, mm-hmm. how does how does business see innovation? Is it just the next uh, innovation in the way the customer or the student wants to work, or do they draw boundaries or say, okay, we are going to just paint on the sky and see what comes out of it? Well, there's a, a process goes on that, uh, to, to your point, that we do have a, a changing student population. The expectations of students in terms of, of education has been changing. And the profile of the students change, so the needs change. The, the difference is not always technology. I see technology as an enhancer uh, of innovation. Uh, for instance, we're a law school. So one of, of our innovations based on student need is an enhancement of our uh, legal writing program, which we've greatly expanded. And we've built in a technology component that's not the driver of the innovation, but certainly a supporter of it. So, uh, Jonathan, when we look at IT, and of course, you know, you may be the most excited person in in IT department because you are the leader and you'll say, okay, let's help spearhead or contribute effectively towards innovation. But just you yourself cannot be the lone warrior. You got to bring the team along. And frankly, neither you or your team is being directly measured about your performance in terms of what kind of innovation that you contribute towards, you are being looked at by how well do you run the shop and keeps the light on. So, yes, it is a good thing for you to do, but is this sustainable, even for a leader or the team? Well, I think one of the things that we have to be very vocal about and make sure that everyone that we work with understands is that we can't confuse innovation with novelty. Um, There are a lot of really good salesmen out there, um, a lot of flashy ads and and cold calls and conference presentations that uh, make people think that there's a simple bullet solution to a lot of the problems. Um, And those of us in in higher ed spaces or in technology know this happens when someone sees a commercial or gets a thing in the mail and they all of a sudden think this is going to fix all our problems. And so that kind of innovation has to be tapped down, but that's part of what we are supposed to be doing from the, the CIO table. Um, I think that one of the, the, the bigger incentives that, that I have found uh, for, for me is looking at uh, my role in you know, avoiding headaches and later complications. Um, if you don't make yourself available for projects from the, the you know, day one, um, you really lose the ability to complain about things later on. So you may be snowed in on you know, projects A, B, and C, but when project D comes along, you really have to step into that one too um, and, and take control. Uh, otherwise, it's going to be really hard to get in front of you know, bad or misinformed decisions because they're going to gain momentum. Um, and then what's leadership or you know, worse, if you're, you're bored or the public gets an announcement of these things are going to happen, it, it has a life of its own, and you're not going to be able to get in front of that. Um, and so you really have to you know, 
know what the, the trends are inside of your, your organization on the outside and, and be able to, to really get your hands around setting expectations for the user. Um, one of the things that, that I've seen happens here a lot um, is that the, the end users and, and leadership to um, have a bad tendency of oversimplifying really complex problems, um, and it gets worse, I think, the further up the org chart you go. Um, I had to remind people often uh, just because something's easy to say doesn't mean it's easy to do. Um, and we have an issue or have had an issue in the past with mobile development um, as that was emerging became a really big problem for, for me to manage expectations because um, you see news stories about nine-year-olds with an iPad making a million-dollar app in an afternoon. Um, and so I was getting the comments of, if this kid can do it, you know, why can't your team figure out how to you know, move our inventory from multiple sites onto a, a handheld application that runs in real time? You know, having people understand that what they see as a polished product, it may look simple. It's a single-click button to order something from Amazon, but what they're not seeing is the you know, millions and millions of dollars that on the back end of that single button click that had to be invested that the institution is not ready to invest that, but they want to see the end product. So the, the, the metrics for um, you know, saying that we, we have value add to the organization or uh, you know, incentivizing you know, me as a, as a CIO, um, it's being able to show the value that, that I bring to the table and my team brings to the table by kind of keeping a lid on, um, in the best way possible, the, the expectations of the organization. So what you mentioned is uh, the misconception about what innovation is and how anything which they see as a sacred cow or something cool that they find they expect the business to turn it around overnight. Totally get it. I'll come back to the question uh, about where we have issues with the team itself. One is the business having unreasonable expectation. Another is for IT and IT team to be willing to jump on the bandwagon. One is to push back on an unrealistic project. Another is for us to jump on it and say, yes, I am interested in, in this making this cool app if given an opportunity, if business is willing to give opportunity. But even that also is... Uh, you know, the, the basis of that is going to be some sort of an incentive, something which will motivate the team, not just the leader, to take part in the innovation process, to go through that journey. So, so Kelly, if I were to ask you, what would make your team and you jump at the opportunity when offered one? Uh, well, I think, you know, uh, people want to be involved. They want to have an impact. They want to share what they know. They want to learn. Um, and so... You know, just being involved, being part of the communication, being part of the planning for some people is is a motivator in and of itself. Um, there's certainly plenty of things you can do to kind of build on that. Uh, I'm a huge fan of, uh, you know, getting out of the office, get people out from behind their chairs, get them to talk to peers in the industry, get them out to conferences. Um, you know, it's, it's just such a great way to kind of free the mind to, uh, to think creatively. Um, so, you know, I, I guess the biggest challenge would be when you have those folks who really just are very comfortable doing what they're doing and, and don't want that much change. But I don't find a lot of that in, in typical IT staff. Um, I've always had the fortune of working with relatively small staff so I can work with them uh, pretty closely. But, um, 
you know, there's certainly uh, plenty of opportunity to um, embrace them and give them the opportunity to share and be a part of things. The other thing, another thing that's very helpful too is that mindset that if there's a failure and that too failures you know great the idea that let people know it's okay to fail we you know if we're not failing every now and then we're not trying very hard um but uh, where I was going originally was that uh, whatever successes you have, it's your staff that did it. Make sure that people know that. Make sure that they know that you're telling your peers that, you know, this is my staff. They made this happen. And the failures fall to you. You know, this was this was my bad, and, and I'll take that. So if they know that you've got their back, it's also going to incentivize them to think outside of the box and take chances. Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back. And, Stephen, when we come back, let's talk about the bandwidth issue. IT is not known to have breathing room in their schedule. Usually the plates are spilling versus having enough room for you to do something new or more or different at your will. It's more handed over and always there are project pressures. So if we are expecting IT and IT leaders and the teams to innovate or rather participate in innovation or lead innovation, We need to be able to make some room for that. How do you make that happen? Please stay tuned, listeners. We'll be right back. Patient-centered care requires a connected enterprise. Are you ready? If you're looking to scale your healthcare IT efforts, visit redmain.com forward slash health today. Whether it's to connect data from multiple partner solutions or developing software for unique needs, Redmain can help. To find out how Redmain can help your company deliver on the patient-centered care promise, visit redmain.com forward slash health or call 773-693-3919. Visit today. Your growing business needs a highly productive workforce, effectively communicating and collaborating without exposing corporate data to cyber attacks. Are you looking to balance security and workforce productivity? Move beyond short-term measures and securely scale your business with BlackBerry Enterprise Mobility Management Solutions. To learn more, please visit blackberry.com forward slash enterprise. Predict your company's future by creating it. Is your workforce able to connect, exchange ideas, and share brilliance simply and securely? Create tomorrow, today. Empower your people to innovate anytime and anywhere with secured BlackBerry Enterprise mobility management and document sharing solutions. To learn more, visit blackberry.com forward slash enterprise. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with Sunjo Gall. To learn more about our program, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. So, Stephen, like to take something off the plate for IT to be able to take something on more when we are talking about innovation effort. How do we offer that breathing room to the team when they already have a spilling plate? 
Well, it's really part of the epidemic of our times, right? That there's a constant need to do more, more, more all the time, and everybody's plate's really getting fuller. It's not just an IT problem. Every department reports the same thing. And a lot of times what they're trying to do is move their problems to IT to get it off of their plate, and uh, there's no place for IT to go with that. And I don't think the solution is really getting things off of people's plates. I think partly it's a matter of scheduling, but also how do we reduce the stress for our staff? Because IT is is really stressful. And part of that, I think, is really having your IT team be a team and to provide activities for the team because knowing that you have the support of the other people, knowing if you need something and you go to somebody, they're going to say yes and be there to support you, just like a sports team would, is critically important. That uh, My team often has lunch together, and I love seeing that because that's really time for them to de-stress, to communicate, to build relationships so when things come up that they can depend on each other. And I think that, as was alluded to earlier, that we really need to celebrate the wins within IT, that everybody's in such a hurry that we finish a project, uh, they get the success, we move forward, and no one's really saying, hey, that was really great. Look at what they did. Look what we did. Look at how this came out. And to do that among the IT staff really makes a big difference in terms of morale and that, and relieving that pressure. Absolutely. So, so Jonathan, when you look at the breathing room question I asked Stephen, and of course his idea is to give them the motivation without having enough room or in, enough time in the day, do you think people will stretch themselves? Is that where the bandwidth will come from? I think that that is one of the aspects of it. Um, but I think that you also look at things that can be leveraged inside the department that has a ripple effect you know, throughout the institution uh, when it comes to time-saving tasks or you know, automated pieces um, because a lot of times the innovations are not focused on a narrow goal. You, know, you, you want to make sure that it has uh, a pervasive you know, impact. Um, one of the examples uh, that we've done here uh, is we were spending a lot of time with the technicians deploying desktops or uh, doing brake fix with the end users when they were having problems in their stations. Um, and so we implemented uh, Microsoft uh, System Center Configuration Manager, as we normally call it SSCM, um, which allows you to set up things like software updates um, or even whole station or lab deployments as inventory uh, of images. And so... Uh, you conceptually do this kind of like you would do virtual desktop deployment where you have a master template for um, however you want to do either an update or a station configuration, and then you push that out over Active Directory. And so that saves hours and hours, even I would argue days, of single deployments of stations or if you have a configuration that needs to be fixed in an environment, an office, or a classroom, through SSCM, you actually configure that image one time and push it down. So that innovation may not be something that's something you're going to, going to make the, the newspaper or you know, um, you know, get a gold star from anyone in, in the board meeting, but for your team, you've allowed them to, to do something really new and exciting when you get down into the weeds of what SSCM can do, but you've also now freed up a whole lot of time and that, that bandwidth and ability to do work um, by saying, take this task that's really mundane 
and now push that out to be managed you know, by the infrastructure that you've invested in, you need to use that infrastructure to the best of your ability, and that's the innovation that happens inside the department that allows you to grow and do new and better things. So you are promoting automation or finding ways to optimize what you do to create the bandwidth and then take that and consciously or intentionally reallocate that towards innovation. Do you think that flies in real life? Oh, I, I think that, that that's one of the things that we have to do. It's incumbent upon us from the leadership standpoint to, because we know we're not going to get more people on a whim or, or more budget, you know, just because we asked for it. So we have invested lots of money and time and effort into building these you know, large enterprise systems, and it's just taking the time to figure out how to use what we're already paying for. Um, SSCM is part of you know the enterprise you know active directory setup. So we were already paying for it; we just weren't using it. And so that's the investment that we can make. You know, we already already made the investment. So now we invest the time to use what you have. So now you're not only being you know innovative with your technology, it's also being innovative with using your resources and funds available to you to free up your your end, end users and your team from having to do mundane tasks over and over again. Automation is going to fix, I think, well, it's going to help ease the burden of the, the time on task for, for a lot of people, including your, your IT team. Yeah, so Kelly, is, uh, Kelly and I just, I couldn't agree more. <clears throat> we did the same thing. And, I mean, right, if we, can, if we can't automate our own processes to try and uh, benefit what we're doing, um, then how the heck are we going to help everybody else, right? So, so Kelly, exactly. when, when you say this, though, um, on the ground, were you able to actually do this and you were able to find the room for people to work on innovation and not every time innovation has results written in front of it that you will indeed get results? So it becomes like a sandbox time or sandboxing time. Were you um, able no. to explain that? Yeah, well, uh, to, to be honest, no, we don't have like that, you know, 20% time or something like that that Google has, but um, it certainly starts with how do you how do you free up people's time so that they can work at a higher level, and um, that has certainly been something we could do. So the automation, as Jonathan was saying, um, thinking about what not to do is really important. Taking the time to say, hey, of all these things we have going on, what can we just, what's not really bringing value? What can we eliminate? But another thing that just goes to the overall ongoing healthy development of staff and allows everybody to keep kind of improving in terms of what they have the time to do and what they have the skills to do is to push down, to constantly think, okay, how can I give this staff member the opportunity to work at a higher level, learn some new skills, and in doing so, free up some time for their supervisor and set the stage for them to demonstrate their capabilities so that if there is an opportunity down the road, we know we've already seen them demonstrate that they can work at that next level and maybe they can get that bump up. But, you know, when you have that kind of constant thing churning, uh, it has a lot of benefits, including giving people a little more time, a little more breathing room. And, uh, and the other thing, I'll, you know, I know I'm repeating it, but it's just so important. Get them out of the office. It's one of the most freeing things you can do in terms of, the, you know, that idea of breathing room. I'm always amazed how uh, I'll go to a conference and just, 
you know, not only are you learning from what you're, the people around you and who you're talking to and the breakout sessions, but all of a sudden your mind just opens up and you've just got things popping in your head and you're making notes about, oh, yeah, you know, I, you, know you put these dots together that you wouldn't otherwise. So, you know, let, let people get out of the office and go to other types of professional development situations. Um, and uh, it has a great, great mind-freeing uh, ability. So, Stephen, when we look at the hardwiring, I wanted to touch this is because we were traditionally groomed into getting the things done right, which means this is a box, this is a framework. We have to make sure that we cross every T and dot every I, and it's done as per expectation. That's where we were groomed. That's how we were groomed. That's how we were developed. Now we are saying, let's do the right things and also do it without a box or what box, essentially. What fundamental reset is needed for you as a leader and for your team for them to be able to do justice to this innovation? It's maybe the motivation is there. Maybe the, the zeal is there. Yeah, and there there is a real reset that's needed also, that as we're doing more faster in a more free-form way, we can't lose the structure that you described because that's the way to really get projects done successfully. But there's also a personal reset that's needed as we're talking about things of getting out of the office and partnering with the business more and having these conversations with non-tech people. That doesn't really come naturally for tech people. We tend to be introverts. We don't really love large groups. It's tiring rather than energizing. Talking to other people is sometimes awkward, that we'd rather focus on the machines and focus on the tasks, which is Great, because that's really how you become an expert in your field. But now we're really asking people to do more and get out of their comfort zone and learn new soft skills as well as learning new hard skills as things change. And it, that's a, a big difference, and it's uncomfortable for people to do that. When we tell people, go get out of the office, talk to people, that's not, a, that's not an easy task. You're not saying, oh, great, I get to spend some time out of the office with people who are different than me. They're going, oh, crap. How am I going to do this? I'd rather just sit at my computer and have everybody leave me alone. And so we need to be aware for our staff, and we need to be aware for ourselves that this is new territory, and it's going to be uncomfortable. I had a, uh, an engineer who came to me and said that there's a, uh, something new going on, and I said, well, well, we should talk to that person. He says, okay, I'll send him an email. I said, no, you know, go see them. He said, well, no, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll text them. He said, well, no, just they're right down the hall. Go see them. And finally, I said, look, you're, this is going to work out. I know it's uncomfortable for you, but just go stick your head in their door. Uh, here's what to say. And then come back to me afterwards and tell me how it went. And he came back really radiant. He says, yeah, I was like really nervous about that, but it was so much better than doing like 10 emails. But we don't do that because we don't think of things that are beyond our comfort zones. So, Jonathan, when you are uh, looking at this, uh, this whole, whole space of innovation, and we spoke about some of this reset that we have to do, are there specific things you would fix in people like at your level, like CXOs, as you may have seen people demonstrate certain way of thinking and way of approaching things? 
let's 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 <laughs> get to the brass tacks. What what would those be? Um, I, I think that one of the primary changes that needs to happen in leadership, especially you know at the the, the C level leadership and uh, and all the way down, really is is, a, is humility. I think that's something that's been missing a lot inside of uh, leadership, and particularly IT leadership, but. I think in general, humility is something that's a, a real skill and something that has to be learned and accepted uh, to move forward. Um, yeah, as, as part of the orientation that I do with my employees when they, they come on board, um, I remind them that there was a time they knew less than the person they're supporting. And so it's okay to go to our colleagues and, and they have a question to say, I don't know, but I'll find out. Because um, that's much, a much better response than, than an uninformed or a, a making bad assumptions about possibilities. One of the things that um, also that I do with my non-IT uh, peers in, in leadership um, is as we sit down and talk about projects we want to do is to think about not how great it's going to be when it's done, but what could go wrong. Um, so you have, uh, we, all, we all know what, like what a, a post-mortem is. You know, if something happens and you sit around the table and you all point fingers and find out who's going to get blamed for it. Um, I, I do what's called a pre-mortem uh, with either my team or with the other leaders, and say, okay, here's the thing we want to do. Let's back into what could go wrong, what could keep us from getting to the place we want to be, and then do we have the resources or can we mitigate these things somehow to make sure that when we do actually kick off the project that these things aren't going to happen. But that goes back to the humility piece of you have to be willing to accept that you're, you are infallible, you can make mistakes, but you've got to own those mistakes and, and learn from them. Um, and not just you know commit yourself to being I'm you know the smartest person in the room and no one's going to tell me otherwise. That's one of the things I think that we have going going back to what we said earlier um, about you know just the the ego of IT. Um, you know, as technologists, we've enjoyed you know, many years of being seen as some of the smartest people in the room, and that's just because no one really understood what we did. Um, I think we have to accept that's not always the case, and that you know, our peers. They possess intelligence and talents that we, we lack. And so you know, no one likes to be wrong or perceived to be inadequate, um, but overcoming that ego with humility should be a priority for, for anyone in the organization, um, and particularly technology leadership. Kelly, anything you want to add from uh, the resetting for the leader and for the team? Uh, sure, absolutely. Um, you know, uh, so Jonathan brought up a great point there, and um, to some extent, you got to walk that uh, line carefully about, you know, proactive risk assessment is, is, I think it's just very natural for us, but I think our peers sometimes hear that as negativity, um, you know, when one of the things we do right away is, is think about why something can't work, so we just have to be careful about how we communicate that. We need to do it, but we need to be careful about how we communicate it, um, uh, and you know, in addition to that, uh, it's really important that we, you know, uh, so Jonathan was talking about, you know, how we're being perceived as the smartest folks in the room and they don't understand what we do. IT leaders have to talk in business language, not in tech language. We have to go out of our way to make sure we're making our cases in ways that go directly to the business problems we're trying to solve and be careful to avoid dragging people into the weeds of too much discussion about the, the technology itself um, when we're working at a high level and trying to, you know, make people uh, sell people on uh, things, directions we want to go. Um, another thing that is uh, important, too, in terms of kind of resetting something that, uh, you know, you, you, you people get used to is requirements are going to change, and it can be very frustrating. But, uh, I mean, I guess it matters to some extent which side of the shop you work on, uh, typically in the operation side when you're doing maybe infrastructure pro 
project. Things tend to be, you know, the end goal tends to be clearer than perhaps a software development application where you're going to be more, you're going to iterate more as you go through it. So it's important that we be open to the idea that um, as, as we help the people we're working with understand the possibilities because of the technologies, both they and us are going to come up with ideas that are going to kind of change the scope. And you don't want to get lost in, in scope creep and have things uh, go haywire, um, but you've got you to manage that. But at the same time, you've got to be open to the idea that requirements are going to change, good plans are going to change, and you can come up with a better end result uh, by being open to those changes. Let's take a break, okay. and why don't we come back and continue this discussion? Okay. So, listeners, please stay tuned. Predict your company's future by creating it. Is your workforce able to connect, exchange ideas, and share brilliance simply and securely? Create tomorrow, today. Empower your people to innovate anytime and anywhere with secured BlackBerry Enterprise mobility management and document sharing solutions. To learn more, visit blackberry.com forward slash enterprise. Patient-centered care requires a connected enterprise. Are you ready? If you're looking to scale your healthcare IT efforts, visit redmain.com forward slash health today. Whether it's to connect data from multiple partner solutions or developing software for unique needs, Redmain can help. To find out how Redmain can help your company deliver on the patient-centered care promise, visit redmain.com forward slash health or call 773-693-3919. Visit today. Your growing business needs a highly productive workforce, effectively communicating and collaborating without exposing corporate data to cyber attacks. Are you looking to balance security and workforce productivity? Move beyond short-term measures and securely scale your business with BlackBerry Enterprise Mobility Management Solutions. To learn more, please visit blackberry.com forward slash enterprise. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to CTN CIO Talk Network with Sunjo Gall. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. So we were uh, talking about a couple of things here. And Stephen, why don't you take it away? Yeah, I wanted to agree with Kelly's point about uh, tech talk, that uh, it, it's a hard habit to break, but you know when you've done it because you see people's eyes glaze over. And we really need to learn as technology leaders and train our staffs, and we're talking to business people, we need to learn to speak the language of business, uh, otherwise we lose them. Uh, I've sat in meetings with like finance people and they start talking in their language and I see, I feel my eyes glazing over and I realize, oh, this is how people feel when they're talking to us. And it, it's, it's really rude in a way that it's like if you're, if you're French and you're coming to work in the U.S. and you talk French to everybody and make them do the work and remember high school French to try and get a gist of what you're talking about, you're really doing a disservice, that you really, we're, we're here to support a business. We really need to learn the language to communicate and translate what we know into their language. 
And it's this is Kelly just adding, you know, it's a great skill for staff to have too, to learn how to, to kind of speak the language of the business because now you're connecting more effectively to everybody and it just, you know, it really helps to develop your, your abilities in general. Mm-hmm. Now, so, so let's, let's go to the next topic here, which is about gaining trust. So Stephen, come back to you about this topic again. Uh, so, so one is to show excitement and say, yes, I want to participate in the innovation effort, and I would like to even play a leading role if I want to. But then for that, the rest of the world should want to, should be wanting to, led, to be led by you, which means they ought to be able to trust you. You are new to the, to the, to the uh, subject matter. You are not professionally uh, developed in that area. It's a brand new area, and you say you want to lead or play a leading role. How would anyone trust you? Well, that, that's a good question because trust really takes time. And there's, it's an iterative process. And there's, there's not a magic formula for it. Part of it is really just having the contact. And since they're the subject matter experts and we're trying to create a product that meets what they're trying to do, that we, we need to keep coming back and say, is this right? Is this in the right direction? We can't expect business people to be able to give us a fully formed idea from scratch that they really need to see our results and say, oh, well, yeah, I like that and that, but over here I meant this and I haven't thought of it, but we need this third thing and work on the process and really focus on small gains rather than trying to get the whole big bang. Uh, Also, we're not doing this in isolation, that we're developing innovation with and on behalf of the business. So it's really a partnership, not so much a leadership. We might be taking the lead because we understand the process. We understand the technical difficulties. But if we just kind of run ahead and nobody's with us, then we're going to cross the finish line alone and nobody's going to be happy with the results uh, as a result. That is true, and Jonathan coming to, I've been building upon that point, is if I'm running and I, nobody's behind us, that means nobody wants to be with, my, with, with me in the race is because they don't feel it's their race because there is no connection to why were you running in the first place. You know, I'm, I'm just trying to say that you would be a lone warrior if you said, I'm excited about it, so I'm going to start running. You guys, please join me, and there's no trust then it's, 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 it's not going to lead us anywhere because you need everyone, the business and technology teams to come together for the innovation to even gain ground. So how I do you get agree. other yeah. yeah. Go ahead. With, with, with consistent small and, and large successes, I think that gains the trust of your peers for them to get behind you when you say, here's this idea or I've, I've got this initiative I want to do. I want you to come along with me because um, you're demonstrating the, the competency to lead the, your team through you know, various challenges, you know, that, that are put before you. It may be a finance problem. It may be a records problem. Um, but you're demonstrating that you know how to coordinate your team with a, a various mixed bag of, of projects. I think if you get in the habit of over-promising and under-delivering, which is a, a, a trap that much of us in IT um, can, can fall into, that you're always going to be in a position to try to regain that trust from your peers. And so um, one of the things that I, I tell my team a lot is that you're only good as your last mistake. 
um, because it takes a lot, lot more time to rebuild those relationships than it does to establish them and then to maintain them. Um, so I think that being realistic about helping your peers set uh, reasonable expectations allows you to have some control over those perceptions of success. And so when you, when you do have uh, that, that time to pick up the banner and start you know, heading towards the, the next thing you want to do, people will say, okay, I've seen them demonstrate the ability to manage these things that are, are really complicated. Um, I trust in their abilities and, and their talents as a leader. I'm going to get behind them, and, and we're going to make this thing be successful. Kelly, if I were to ask you to go into a new organization or go to a new department where you've never supported before, even though you've had successes in your past stint or with a different department, are you expecting that new department to you know, invite you with open arms and say, okay, run and help me innovate in my department? Uh, well, you got to start by embracing the folks, listening to them, you know, uh, finding where they need help, where they want help. Uh, if you can build on a couple of small successes to have them um, see that you can indeed help them, that's a huge step forward. Uh, one thing that we haven't talked about in this, this particular discussion is transparency. So as you go forward, um, make sure that they know where you're going. So, for example, uh, I have what I call a projects dashboard. So every year I'll put out this typically about a two-page PDF looks kind of like a Gantt chart that, you know, here's all the projects, here's the basic timelines, and on a quarterly basis, I'll update it to show how's our progress going, and when I send it out, I'll highlight, um, and we, we use a, a green, uh, yellow, red coloring, so you can see this project's in trouble, this one's uh, been canceled, and as I send that out to uh, Cabinet and what we call our functional leaders group, uh, I'll share what's going on. Hey, you know, this particular effort is struggling, we could use some help and uh, encourage questions, um, so, you know, transparency is, is another huge way to kind of build on that trust once you get your foot in the door and start to uh, you know, embrace your colleagues and start to solve little problems. Uh, this is Stephen, that uh, really trust has to start before the project, that you can't come in and, and say, okay, we're going to do this new project with a bunch of strangers, uh, as you had alluded to, that uh, social opportunities are a great way to build some lubrication into the process before you even get to the, the point of a project. That yeah. I was uh, the CIO of a, a, a large uh, law firm that had 40 offices around the world. And I used to regularly travel to that offices to sit with the senior people in those offices, not so much because I was trying to pitch them on a project or do something, but when the time came to do the project or there was a problem, we had already developed a relationship that greased the wheels that made everything much smoother. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, building on that as you work with folks and you begin to undertake efforts, be sure to give credit where credit is due. You know, go out of your way to say, hey, well, you know, the, the, you know the, she or he bought this idea to us in the first place and we just built on it. So, Stephen, let's talk about the skills. So one is the mindset reset. And, of course, you, you get some trust and you are ready to roll. You were not and your team was not groomed in that area. Do you? bank on consultants or you go out back to a university for a course where does that skill set come from well it it depends on your on your organization and it it's funny that we're talking about grooming IT leaders because this is really a new concept that what what's really crazy is that IT leaders start out as as engineers of one sort or another and you do a good job and your reward is you get promoted to management where you have not the temperament 
skills or personality for, and then there's no training and you're expected to be successful. So we're kind of creating our own version of survivor and see that who can, who could gain the skills fast enough before you get fired, which is a very common outcome from that kind of system. And businesses have tried different things around it. Like they've tried putting business people into IT leadership roles, primarily because they speak the language, but it doesn't work out because they can't relate to the IT staff. They can't understand the IT process or how things work. Uh, In large organizations, there is often executive training programs for high potential people. And that's a really great way to get a grounding in leadership, management, but even more so, you get to to build friends in other departments. You build a network of like war buddies who will grow with you in the organization and later on you can depend on for a point of view outside of IT and understand better how the business works. Organizations that don't have that often are very open to having executive coaching for individuals. It's a great thing to do before problems come up. Uh, Often it doesn't happen until problems come up. still useful. And lacking that, that there's also uh, uh, programs through our trade organizations that we belong to, IT IT support organizations are starting to have more uh, podcasts, programs, and at conferences, leadership lines to help people develop the skills. And so you can really draw on all of those. And it's important to. Even if you look at like professional athletes, like LeBron James spends a million and a half of his own dollars on his own training, nutrition, support in order to maximize his potential. So, uh, Jonathan, when you look at this whole uh, area of development, do you think we can be proactive that this is the area we're going to go to innovate ourselves or or in help in innovation for the business? And so I'll start six months prior. I'll try to formally train myself and my team before I reach out to that business leader. Do you think we are that planned or our IT Work is that planned or our business requiring innovation is that planned that far out? It would be great if we could do that. Um, and I, I do encourage my, my team when they're in conversations with the users to, to make them think of a, a yes and conversation, like you want to do this and what else could, you know, the scope creep of nature of, of planning um, is something that I have to remind my staff that, you have to develop that listening skills that you have to want to to listen and and, and stick with the user in the conversation. Um, and I think that goes back to building the culture within the organization at large that the IT department is looking out for the organization and the user's best interest and not their own. Um, I, I try to develop you know within within my staff, you know, everyone from from me as a CIO down to the part-time PC technician that they have to understand they're part of a service department, and that means they have to like working with people. They have to like talking to people, getting involved in their problems. Um, you know, we, we work in the environment of problems to accept that we are the people that people call when there's an issue. You know, rarely does someone, does someone call my office to say, things are going great, you know, my computer's working fine. Um, that normally doesn't happen. Um, so we have to have uh, team members that feel confident about people coming to them with their issues, um, people that uh, are people on the staff that aren't defensive about uh, things when they go wrong. 
um, because in that that way the the innovation that that could happen and the the crystal ball that they they would need to to help the users think through what's coming up on the horizon that all gets pushed to the side because you begin to be this defensive uh, you know, support staff that is just trying to just keep your head above water doing break fix and you're never really getting involved in the organization proper you're just this you know, third-party tack-on to the organization that just fixes the computer when it breaks. This is Stephen. So, that's a really good point, that I try to train my people to never say no. That if you can't say yes, escalate it. Kelly, one final Absolutely. question, a minute or so to go. Uh, if you were to change the organizational culture and structure for it to be most conducive where the technology department and its leader can very effectively contribute towards innovation. What would that look like? Hmm. Uh, well, I think, you know, collaboration is huge, and I think we've touched on that quite a bit as we're going through this. Um, the more we learn to, to be speaking with each other, um, you know, both in purposeful situations where we're trying to tackle a problem and then on the other end of the spectrum, as the other guy said, even in social situations, you know, we have to have those lines of communication open. Um, and, and innovation is a culture. I mean, if you want that, that kind of culture, you've got to get everybody to, to know these things, many of which we've touched on. That failure is okay. It's going to happen. We're all in this together. Um, you know, I, I saw one of the greatest uh, speeches I've ever seen uh, at uh, University Business uh, UB Tech Conference just the other day. Uh, Nito Cubane, I think his name is, the president of High Point University, um, just gave great speech. And one thing that really rung in my head is that part of the culture he's developed is let's find a way to yes, right? So when somebody has an idea and it makes some sense, let's figure out how to make it happen. And when you start to, you know, have that kind of mindset and, and keep coming back to it, you really can influence the culture and open people's minds to these things. Um, the other thing that's, that's just huge and can't be overemphasized is learning, 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 you know. Talk to your peers. Uh, listen to great podcasts like CIO Tech Talk. Um, you know, read what's out there. You know, very a lot of times innovations are an innovation that's new to a particular um, institution, but you may not have been the one who created it. But that's fine, right? If you go out and learn about something innovative that's happening elsewhere, bring that into your institution, and that's only going to happen because you're out there and, and learning. Um, you guys have probably heard of George Coros's uh, Innovator's Mindset book. You know, the Innovator's Mindset, great book. And in there, he's got that quote, you know, we rarely create something different until we experience something different. So we got to get out and learn from the world around us and then bring that stuff back into the institution. On behalf of the show and our listeners, I'd really like to thank you all, uh, Stephen, Jonathan, and Kelly, for sharing your thoughts and insights about how CIOs can evolve themselves and their teams to become innovation leaders. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And listeners, hope you enjoyed, got some nuggets out of this. Please like us on Facebook, search for CTN, CIO Talk Network. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and join our LinkedIn group. Thank you again for listening to this segment on CTN. This is Sanjog All, your talk show host. Till next week, take care and God bless. Thank you for tuning in to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with your host, Sunjoe Gall. To learn more about our program or for show archives, comments, or questions, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. Thank you again for listening.
RCTN CIO Talk Network is brought to you by Redmain and BlackBerry.